I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Today we've got a slightly different episode in as much as we have two people chatting on the show. And I love this ability to be able to talk about one particular company or organisation and then also have another person that's been using it as well. So you get two sort of different perspectives. And we're going to be chatting about Tassamai. And Tassamai was founded by learning and revision expert Murray Morrison. And he built a programme to help his own students learn more effectively. Using techniques from sports and music coaching, Murray created a programme to test and teach through continuous practice and adapted repetition. And joining Murray is James Stradling. And James is Head of Science at All Saints Academy in Weymouth. Now, the key focus of this conversation is about a report that Tassamai have done, which is about narrowing the attainment gap, which remains the key challenge for the education system, especially as we steer our way out of the pandemic. Now, in February 2022, Tassamai hosted a roundtable discussion, bringing together some of the leading thinkers and innovators in the education world to consider the role that edtech software could and should play in tackling this challenge. Now, following the roundtable, a short report has been produced to capture the wide-ranging insightful discussion, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, Bridging the Attainment Gap, EdTech and the Struggle to Level Up. Hi, Mary and James. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. I'm almost tempted to go EdTech and the Struggle to Level Up go <laughs> and see where we end up but i know we, we would be here all day and also there's just so many different sort of facets to all this sort of stuff so mary why don't you start by just giving us a little bit of, of background about tasamai and also where the idea for the report came came from certainly and um, thanks very much for having me mark um yeah tasamai as a as a software as a company uh, i set up years ago to help my own students um and i think uh it, aside from you know, what it is, what it does, it's a formative assessment software. It's used fairly widely around UK schools in science and more recently in English and maths. Uh, it's it's a program that students use daily for sort of practice homework. And as they go along, it, it adapts to them and it, it helps them focus where they need and gives teachers feedback. So uh, that that is what it is. But the, the why of TASMI, the reason I built it in the first place was, as I say, to help students of mine who were particularly in, in need and um, not only of some help, but of uh, of assistance in learning how to learn, if you see what I mean. Uh, often they were at quite serious disadvantage um, or with with health problems or other reasons they couldn't really access schooling in the in the normal way. So we talk a lot and we hear a lot about the the attainment gap and um, and disadvantage in education and its effect. Uh, and that's been something that's been a hot topic of conversation since COVID, of course, but this is something that's been on my mind for a long time. It was the reason for the genesis of the program in the first place. Um, and, you know, because we're now a, 
a medium-sized business with with thousands of users, it's easy to lose sight of that origin, but it is really important to us. And uh, so this conversation came about sort of saying, well, are we doing the job we set out to do? Are we addressing disadvantage uh, and closing that gap? And um, and how can we find out really if we're doing it right and, and get some advice from, from others to just help us make sure we're pointing in the right direction? And James, what's your input into, into the report and, and, and how have you been working with the company? Hi, yeah, thanks for th- for uh, having me, Mark. Um, we we began using um, Tassimai uh, about five years ago to uh, raise uh, raise attainment and progress amongst the pupils uh, in our school um, at a time where we were looking for some um, some ways to move forward, some ways to to progress. Um, and uh, I was introduced by uh, one of our Head teachers at the time into into the world of Tassamai, um, and we've developed and progressed with it um, to to the point where the the school um, has been one of the national ambassadors for for Tassamai, um, and uh, we've we've tried to be as proactive uh, with, with with the uh, company as we as we can do um, because we 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 can see direct input and direct improvements in in um, children's understanding and progress. So um, I was uh, only, only too pleased to be involved in a kind of a wider conversation as uh, with, with professionals uh, in and around education um, and to try and uh, to see where Edutech can, can, can help move forward. Um, if you work every day with, with children, you, you, you want to kind of uh, try and explore the avenues to see um, how far, how far you can take it, how far you can progress. And I think having this sort of starting point, whether it's, it's values, whether it's an ambition, whether it's an understanding of what you're trying to, you know, give your your pupils or your customers, like I say, from wherever that starting point is, to be able to come back to that. I think that's the same for everyone within education or anyone who has children. You know, it's that kind of, it's not just about the attainment or not even about the attainment, it's about that ability to learn and how we can uh, adapt and, and and all of those sorts of things as, as well. So I'm, 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 I'm keen, Murray, to understand a little bit about, so you were teaching and then you developed the, the software. Did you have some of that background as well? Or have you got a team of people that sort of do the, the sort of the technical side? Uh, I don't write code, um, although I pretend to. Um, my engineers sort of roll their eyes and, and laugh at me. Um, but no, my background was teaching, but uh, but I had a weird kind of teaching background and um, as well as working in a small school, I, I was doing other things. I was trying to be a musician, among other things. And so I slightly fell into the world of private tutoring, actually. And that was a really eye-opening experience for me because I got to see how advantage can really uh, can really widen the gap. So students who have access to that extra help. And I, and I worked with Tasmite's co-founder, Madeline, to... Um, who's a who's a psychotherapist she was working with children with um with special needs whether it was health or or mental health uh, or physical health um issues that couldn't get to school that was where we started building Tasmai to try and address that now i didn't write the code but i wrote uh, i developed the game originally as it was a card game really and, and then st- turned it into a glorified spreadsheet that became a software wrote all the content designed the product designed the data interfaces because it was me as a teacher who needed to know 
where my students' gaps were emerging, especially if I had very limited time with them. These were, in many cases, not students who I was seeing every day, um, but students I was seeing only occasionally. And so, uh, yeah, I, I was I was involved in every aspect of the design of the software, specifically to try and help these students who were who were in great need, and 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 help them keep up with those other students who were paying through the nose to get lots of round the clock homework help. And I think it's really good, isn't it, to get that sort of background and that insight, especially in the moment we're about to obviously start about the, the report specifically. Um, and James, you said sort of almost as an ambassador in terms of sort of seeing the, the the gains that you had from using it. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like from a from a teacher in a school point of view. Um, there's lots of ways day day to day in which we we make use of it um, as a, as a homework tool. Um, it's easy and it's accessible. There's there's an accessibility to it, where um, where all children, ninety nine point nine percent of of children have a phone, um, and there's there's an accessibility to Edutech, uh, to Tasmania to be able to access it anyway anyway where where you are, when you get in, when you're on the bus, um, you can access Tasmania, um, and you can you can get straight into into the questions. Um, the the platform isn't isn't complicated by um, by additional visuals or, or it's not sidetracked. There's a there's a, a relentless retrieval um, about it that um, that kids uh, really really value that they can see that they're making progress and children of all all different abilities will get really excited about the number of points the number of um, Things that they they get getting right and they're keen they're keen to share it. Um, so homework has, has always been a, a real plus. Um, and thrown into that, uh, if you if you consider you have parents, the child, and the school, where Tassimo wins is that parents can access um, exactly when and where their children have done their homework. And that's that's really powerful. I've never never haven't never yet met a parent who isn't um, really interested to see exactly when they did that bit of homework compared to when the conversation says they might they they think they did it um, and how exactly how long they spent on it and what the progress is. And therefore, if you have that triangle of ourselves, home and school, all working together to this to the same um, script, that's really empowering. Um, we also we we um, kind of have the old mantra of praise praise to raise, um, and we we really celebrate as much as we can week in week out um, with Tasmania leaderboards and Premiership style uh, achievements, um, and that goes that that that's um, really well appreciated. Um, I've used it um, across across the department. Um, as a gap analysis tool um, coming off the back of COVID um, and also in a slightly different way as an, as an intervention tool with a, we have a five-star intervention project and I've used, I've used it with that across English, math and science in a, in a slightly different way. So there's, there's, there's a lot of different facets to um, how we use it actually that, um, that have grown over, over the years. And let's jump in into the report itself now. Then, so so Murray, tell us, you know, what was it? What was this, the exact starting point and 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 the sort of group of people that you had around the, the round table? 
Well, as we, as I said before, you know, this is a really important topic to us and integral to the kind of the genesis of the of the company in the first place, but also every day when we're trying to develop the, the program, really trying to look at how are we helping every learner and how are we helping those who maybe don't have as much or as 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 um, well as much support as they as their peers, how are we helping them? And so it's it's really important for us that we continue to address that. We, we put together a, a, a really great panel of, of people, um, uh, teachers uh, and, and the head teachers, for example, Bukhi Youssef, who I've worked with on, on previous projects, um, and uh, James, as, who's joined us today, uh, who, who teaches out of school that actually uses Taskbar. So it was good to have his insight from, from that perspective. James Garnett from, from United Learning, I've worked with on data projects before, uh, though he's not um, teaching in classrooms now, uh, and his insight into kind of school structure and how EdTech can and should and should not be deployed across schools, across multi-academy trusts, and specifically with that, uh, with that sort of um, focus on advantage disadvantage was was um, really important. And then we had uh, people from Education Endowment Fund, Nick Worsley, and uh, Impact Ed, which is a relatively smaller organisation, but fantastic. The work that Kirsty Christie, I should say, Evers um, and and Owen Carter do at Impact Ed. So Christie was part of the panel. Um, and uh, who else? Uh, Tom Harbour from Working With Parents was a really great addition to the, to the panel. Tom's organization focuses on uh, particularly the design of ed tech to support parents at home and parents of disadvantaged children at home, where he really identifies how so often products, technology, whether it's in fact even paper handouts and, and traditional homework, if it's not tailored to meet the needs of parents who perhaps don't read any English or, or, or are completely technology illiterate, um, then those children get left behind if their parents can't support them. So his input was, was really fabulous. Um, Tasmite also worked with UCL a few years ago um, through their uh, Educate project with the, with the uh, uh, Institute of Education at UCL. And um, Carla Ertz from that program was was on the panel. And she's really expert in sort of technological design for, for education. And one of my peers on that course from another ed tech company, um, Little Bridge, the, the, the CEO of Little Bridge, Emma Rogers, uh, was on, on the panel as well, uh, where her her product is, is, is great sort of peer-to-peer -peer language learning for um, primary age children. And I really wanted her input into kind of like the design of technology for, for good learning and accessibility particularly because accessibility is such a key area in designing ed tech for, for disadvantage. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few people. Uh, Kim from uh, Equal Education, Kim Rehal as well was on there. And then we were chaired by uh, Joe Halgarten, who's the chief executive of um, the Centre for Education and Youth, uh, who's doing a lot of work in this area also. I th I'm sure I'm going to embarrass myself. I haven't forgotten someone, but I think that's the, that's the whole the whole panel. So you really sort of do, like you say, have different people from different backgrounds and different focuses and, and different specialities, which um, is always great for, a, you know, like I say, a really sort of in-depth conversation. Well, exactly. And we didn't. We didn't want to just assemble a group of, of mates or or teachers who already work with us and have, you know, essentially they buy the product and they've drunk the Kool-Aid. We don't want to just have a group of people patting us on the back saying, yeah, yeah, everything's great. 
what we wanted to have with a little bit of challenge, a little bit of, okay, you've come this far, but actually here's where you need to go further or here's where EdTech generally is is failing to live up to its promise. That was a really sort of strong opening point that uh, that was made, which was, you know, ed, for, for the longest time, EdTech has promised an awful lot, but has delivered not really very much on on its promise and, and where is it failing down where, where is it failing where is it falling down is it in the design of the ed tech or is it in the implementation and use of ed tech um or is it that the technology hasn't quite caught up to the, to the promise and potential um, so yeah it was it was a good discussion um it seems to me i think when these sorts of discussions come up is that it's obviously multifaceted in terms of ed tech for many things which is obviously <laughs> tech related to a school but you can you can come out so far which is you know what companies what parts of ed tech are you using in any given school and it's sort of the differentiation between that just the fact that some schools have had access to it they even know about the companies that they're using um and and obviously there seems to be some platforms which many schools work in to, in, in sort of delivering data or and so it's sort of really varied from that point of view so i'm sort of curious james it, from your school and, and, and your and your sort of um, situation, when you're talking about edtech and when you're thinking about edtech generally, what sorts of things are you thinking about in terms of the type of products, but also narrowing it down into into what you're trying to get out of each of those products? Um, the programs that uh, ov obviously we, we we've built into the system, so, such as TAS and I. Uh, we, we have high engagement with, but where where, where I'm also involved with intervention um, um, in year eleven students across across the school, um, then you, I, I find that there is a, a desire and a passion for um, edutech software. There's an accessibility and a drive and a motivation uh, about it compared with um, more, more traditional methods of, of, of revision um, so people will come and use Tassanai, they'll come and use Blockit, um, they'll come and really try and try and engage with different ways um, of revision, different ways of retrieving, retrieving information and depending on how positive they feel about it, what rewards they get back from it um, at any, any one moment in time and whether or not there's kind of an instant buzz uh, about about doing it, uh, and at the end of the day, sitting down sitting down with a, with a computer and engaging in a in a platform in which you can feel um, supported and you're getting quick wins uh, and and quick feedback is really uh, exciting for for children if you if you think about more more traditional methods of of revising and engagement in revision resources etc um and mapping and cue cards they all have they all have their place but what i see is a real desire for that, that feedback that comes with um edutech companies and mary did you kind of break it down into that kind of this is learning for for children or this is functional for a school or this is a combination of of both how did you sort of focus it from from that point of view in in terms of of what in terms of the way we in terms of your discussion oh. well in in in, ter in terms of when you were talking about um the the, the the opportunities and things through the report and the sorts of conversations you had in, in that particular situation Under 
Understood. Yeah, it, actually, we, we was quite a wide ranging discussion and we did look at and we did discuss it in, in terms of all of those major stakeholders. You know, there's no point in having a product that works for the kids if it doesn't work for the teachers. Well, arguably, there's some point, but it's not it's not it's only half the picture. And as James said, it's actually that triangle with parents as well. So we, we were keen to look at, well, if is the product or are EdTech products generally, or what do they need to be thinking about to be of maximum impact use for the students? But that on its own isn't going to be enough if it's not bringing in parents and teachers. What is the, the best way of presenting what, what data EdTech can gather? What's the best way of presenting that data for teachers in order to make those, um, those inferences useful? Uh, I think it's really, it, it's a really, uh, you're selling yourself short if you think an ed tech product is going to solve everything on its own, put it in front of a kid and it's going to solve all the problems in education. It just isn't. Uh, it's only ever going to be a tool, no different from a chalk slate or, a, or an exercise book, if it doesn't also then have the teacher who can look at what's been done and then adapt their teaching practice to support that child. So the the bridge between where technology stands as a bridge between the parent and the teacher and the child and can, inter- can help facilitate that communication is really vital. So yeah, the discussion in the round table, the discussion in the report really kind of goes into not only those three stakeholder areas, but the relationship between them and the, and the presentation interpretability of data, the presentation of that for teachers can be designed a certain way for parents. It has to be designed a very different way. In fact, we've completely changed our parent reporting to that to that end, for example. And then there's a third part of this, which is uh, reporting of a student's data to the student themselves. That 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 really important piece that stimulates metacognition that helps to generate intrinsic motivation. Says yes, okay, I'm I've I've had this problem and I'm addressing it. I've solved this problem. I'm now growing and learning and and all those aspects that are so vital. So yeah, the discussion really needs to hit on all of those points, and I think did. I'm interested to know, ha- having having been at BET this year. Um, you know, you have two very large halls of lots and lots of companies doing lots and lots of things. Um, when a school is thinking about edtech and 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 where they're going to put their their time and effort and money, how how do they go about that in terms of? Do I just go to the nearest stall? Do I need to talk to a large amount of people? Do is 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 it word of mouth? Because it seems to me, in order for, like I say, if there are disadvantaged children needing support, it may be that their one solution is the one company that you may not have ever heard of or got to because you've come across someone else first. So, so James, from your your point of view, within a school, what's that that sort of that work progress and, and that sort of philosophy? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, as 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 a head of science. Um, the number of emails and, and letters regarding companies that are coming in and offering things is 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 vast, um, with with usually very little time to to spend addressing each one and weighing up how they would fit with the curriculum. What I think works more effectively um, is is word of mouth. Um, if there's something that is really going to be buzzing and making a difference the the children are probably going to bring it first um and they are usually telling you about it can we look at this can we do that uh and you're um wondering what it is and trying to catch up it's usually that way around um or 
within educational kind of communities like um, academies, within um, education partnerships, for example. Um, there's a, a lot greater depth of sharing of, of good practice um, and also nationally with organizations such as Pixel and STEM and Owncrest. And therefore, um, information of what's really effective can, can spread really quickly. And I tend to pick things up more from those networks um, than anything else. And do you, do you also find that maybe a piece of software or something that you use, um, bearing in mind you're sort of part of an academy, would work well across the board or actually different systems, different um, different software would work differently in, in different schools depending on where they are in, in their sort of their own journey? Um, they can certainly be uh, adapted, but what, what tends to vary is... Um, you, you need um, you need staff that uh, want to engage um, with with edutech, and you need staff that want to really take take it on um, with within the framework of, of, of each school. So uh, having a having a a platform by which you can look at look at different different resources within within a network of schools um, is is important. Uh, and it's why you need um, you need people to be trying things out and to be experimenting with different softwares and be willing to kind of shout out about it at, at, at those kind of networking events. And Murray, how do you find price um, to be to be a factor in 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 the, in the world that you're you're seeing an integral part of? Is price a big factor? That could you know? Could we have? better outcomes for people who need it if the price points were less but the reality of being a, an educate company means that it has to be slightly different so some schools can afford or not afford how, how, how does that work for you it's hugely important and it's a really uh, it's a really complex area it's a bit of a vexed question for me I, mean, I was going to come in on the last question on this point that that unfortunately you know there's there are lots of products out there uh, and some are um some are better or more, more robustly designed in terms of their pedagogy than others. Uh, and some are cheaper and some are more expensive. And there's usually a reason for that. Um, and, and it's, it's uh, you know, with some tools that are designed to have maximum sort of educational impact um, and that have complex and expensive technology behind them, there's a, there's a cost to running that company and there's a cost to selling that product. Um, and it's, it's often the case, I feel, that schools with extremely tight budgets and, and a short amount of time to make decisions are, are very often tempted to get the, 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 the less powerful product, thinking they'll save some money. The danger is so often then you get that Matthew effect, the idea that, well, here's a, a simple product that, um, that will present some advantage for the, the most sort of assiduous practices who take, take full use of it. But it's going to leave behind those people who, um, who are perhaps at a disadvantage. Um, so there is there is often a price to quality, and, and it's, but as a business like mine, we don't have any funding. We're completely self-funded and and bootstrapped, and and so on. We often get schools saying, "Well, we really love the product, but we can't afford it." And we we do what we can to to keep our costs down and make it. Uh, affordable but I'll tell you what we've never made a profit as a company we don't expect we ever will uh, and it's it's very hard but 
running technology like this and, and developing content is, is a is a complex and, and expensive business and it's, it's painful um of course now with everything else getting squeezed and the cost of heating the school uh, sports hall and, and everything else going up uh, it's going to be harder and harder for schools to make the the best educational decision um but uh, it's it's a it's a, something i'm keeping a very close eye on of course and i'm interested also to know what the edutech um businesses in in in, in its in its sort of its widest possible sense thinks that maybe the answer to that would be do you do you think there should be some kind of um government funding that helps do those things um one of the things that came up at bet um when i was i was speaking to um dr gergrads he was sort of saying that maybe bet is a is a massive organization could have have some input in some way or another and and it seems to me that there are some some companies involved in the sector that are extremely wealthy and having having the ability to have some kind of middle ground funding where various companies of different sizes of governments or who, whoever it happened to be could pull into so there, there is a, a vast amount of money so that schools could then get what they needed um because the, the money's there to sort of dive into in a way which is personalized for them which to me seems like a good starting point but of course i guess it's again about equity because there'll be some companies to say yeah we're happy to put money into a charity because that's good for us and there are smaller companies who would want to be part of that but aren't in a position to do so so i guess that equity thing <laughs> starts to starts to sort of also be a factor there as well yeah it becomes very complicated of course and uh and there i've heard people trying to make the case of sort of government mandated solutions that the you know the government funds it and uh, the dfe say these are the products you use but that comes back to what James was saying earlier that context and the ability for a school to implement their solutions in their context is is so vitally important I think the the ideal situation in my mind is that schools are funded that's that's probably the end of that sentence schools are funded properly that they can that they can actually pay their staff and retain their staff um, but they have a ring-fenced budget for education resources and of which technology they part um, which is properly ring fenced, they're properly funded, and they can make the best educational decision for their students uh, and families. Uh, because at the moment, when a school has their, their budget so squeezed, in the end, they're going to, of course, give up on quality products, whether they're textbooks or, or, or technology or anything else, and say, well, let's use this secondhand one, or let's use this free one. And what they don't see, and this is something that's a big part of the discussion in the round table, is uh, that those sort of cheap and cheerful, accessible, often popular products then don't have the educational impact that will close the attainment gap and bring everyone along together. Instead, they let some kids, you know, run off ahead and leave others behind. And uh, and we're all the poorer for it when that happens. It becomes very disjointed then, doesn't it, with uh, a bit of a two-tier society going going on with some, some schools being able to afford the, afford the resources um, and, and others not being able to. If, if something is effective and it works for for a children, then it needs to be accessible for everybody, doesn't it? And James, I'm interested in the sort of the, the departmental idea. Do you find that, you know, this project works brilliantly within science um, and there's 
I don't know, something related to the arts and they're saying, but this this particular um, product would be brilliant for us. Is there is there within the school, is there a trade-off? Like say, if money is an issue, is there a trade-off between what various parts of the school can have rather than just whether the school can afford something? It's actually, we're going to put that money more towards the STEM subjects or less towards the arts or or do you sort of, sort of find that with, with, within your experience? Um, I've found that the the core the core STEM subjects are, are well, well supported, um, but the um, difference between the needs of those departments tends to drive the um, software kind of programs that that, that are then used, um, and uh, the the budgets are different for for um, for different for different subjects, core or not. Um, so there, there can be differences um, with um, what kind of product um, pe- people are looking for. Um, but um, where Tassamaya has branched out into English and, and, and maths, um, I've seen um, I've seen a lot a lot of benefit from children being able to sit down and choose which account they want to work on, and also in terms of monitoring and tracking that. Uh, being able to see improvements across those areas. If you're working at a at a whole school level, you can be able to see where where children are progressing if they're using the same software. And I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that extended so that um, you have the ability to analyze performance and progress, and therefore build a program to to, to support these needs because everyone is using the same kind of program. And that that's that's when it becomes really really powerful. But it's been quite a, a, an interesting one now because we did start in science because that was the subject I taught, um, but we wanted to branch out into the other subjects for a number of reasons. One was to just give better value to schools and make it a, a product that was more affordable to share between the core subjects. We now we're adding geography and history and computer science as well next year. But the other thing was from a technological point of view, we collect a lot of data. I mean, we have. I think two and a half million questions are answered on the platform every day uh, during term time, not so much in the holidays. Um, All that data comes in. We're able now to see, okay, this student is struggling with this science question, but we can see from the wider context, it's not because of the science side of things. It's because we can identify a certain uh, reading difficulty they have that makes this question hard for them to process or or a a mathematical issue ah, they're getting this question wrong because they don't understand standard form. It's not that they don't understand the question on space science or whatever that had the standard form in it, or molar chemistry, that kind of thing. You know, those throw kids because they see times 10 to the 23 or whatever, um, and that really throws them. So that wider context is is the sort of thing that's going to make EdTech much more impactful for students. But there's a problem, which is school departments are still quite tribal in terms of the way they're funding, in terms of their procurement, and in terms of their, their culture and implementation. So even though schools have access to all those three subjects, we have lots of schools who only use it for science and the maths department aren't interested or, or, or because they've, they've got their other things lined up, of course. So there's an enormous potential in the consolidation of ed tech, whether it's through companies doing more or companies talking to each other more effectively, um, that I think has huge potential uh, and we are in conversations with other ed tech companies about how we can share information about learners for the benefit of those learners and their teachers so sort of the idea of um of bridging the gap and and sort of equity 
within a tech or anything like we say i guess boils down a lot to opportunity and the philosophy of of a school or a teacher or, or whatever because you know say there may be a selection of schools that all have access you know to tasmine for example but even that's not equitable across all of those schools because the person using it or delivering it is is not making that equitable because that's not what they need or what they what they seem to mean but i guess if, if you lined up all the students that have um, theoretical access to all of those things that's not equal either well absolutely and, and that we see schools side by side of similar size where school a is doing 10 times as much as school b on the platform but then we can't see beyond the platform what else is school b doing that's you know that that may be even better or more supportive but um you know context and implementation is so so vital and especially in a product like ours which is not designed to I mean, we like to think it's not hateful, but it's not designed to sort of pander to the student with like, oh, here's a game to play and we won't make you do any work. No, we are, we are the, the, we're the educational equivalent of broccoli, right? We have vitamins and minerals and we're trying to get you to get educationally healthy through your good work. And of course, they're going to want to eat educational M&Ms instead. Um, other, other chocolate snacks are available. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if the implementation is not there, and you're not really driving the use of the product, then again, it's going to have limited impact. And when what we are about is changing lives of these kids, helping them really unlock their potential, get the best possible outcomes and move to the next level in education, the, the driving and implementation from within the school is, is more important probably than the technology itself or as important. And I know one of the things that you that you covered was the idea of making small changes, which then make a, a bigger um, Im, Im, impact sort of um, beyond that. So, James, from your standpoint, has is, is there been anything that sort of strikes you from that point of view, either a way that you use the, the, the software with, with a small change, which has made a big difference or, or just um, an example of a tweak that's happened that suddenly sort of changed the dynamic of how you're working with it and also your students? Yeah, yeah. Um, the visualization, the uh, the tasso tree, um, the the visualization and and, and the leaves um, has made a big difference. Actually, um, when I when I when I first, when it first came out, it was hard to envisage uh, how excited um, children were going to be about how the tree is growing, and uh, essentially the tree gets bigger the more input you have, and then the color of the leaves. Um, are the questions right, wrong, and the, the colours? Um, and then you can go back and re they can go back and revisit that, um, and you can see how it's developing, and where it's a visual presentation of their growth and its interconnectedness. If, um, it's uh, it's really exciting, and uh, it's uh, I th I think that uh, was a real a real grabber for, for children. But there's been such a sort of long evolution of that kind of approach within within the software so when it was just me and my students the data that would come back to me would be a, a lot of numbers on a grid uh, as soon as i had to share that information with teachers we had to design a way of showing that information in a way that was visually appealing it was a really important point that that came up in the round table as well which is you know if teachers can't interpret what the edtech is giving them they're, we're not really making that connection that allows them to have the next level of impact. But so we designed essentially a sort of interactive rag rating kind of grid years ago for teachers. What James is describing is the tree is our way of representing that same data back to the learner themselves in a kind of a, not a graph, because that's not going to speak 
appropriately to sort of uh, a, a year 10, a year 11 student. They don't want to look at a bar chart. What they want to see is something that's organic and visually engaging that they can kind of relate to, even though they're not data scientists or statisticians or, or teachers who are experienced at looking at data. So that kind of tone of communication for accessibility is vital. And, and if you don't do it right, you don't do it that way, then your top set might look at that data and might learn more about their gaps and go and take that information and run with it but everyone else will be left behind if you can present that data in a way that everyone even if they're you know new year seven in the lower you know lower set they can see that and they go oh i see that by doing this work i've got this improvement and my tree is growing and and witness that change that starts to pay real dividends so these these little changes Schools implement changes based on what we kind of tell them about about new uh, new approaches, but also we implement changes in the technology based on what we're hearing in feedback from from parents or teachers or or students themselves. And it's really exciting to be a part of that kind of thing. That um that th that presentation of data back to back to departments, school leaders, and back to pupils themselves is is so important in in any kind of gap analysis, in any kind of targeted improvement at the end of a course looking backwards over a whole complex series of units and being able to diagnose right so this particular section on bioenergetics was an issue across a year group um and therefore we need to put something in place to deal with that and that, that's really really empowering that's really quick it's quick and easy to see and i think i think um that edutech is really uh, enlightening there in the way that you can you can use that data uh, as really powerful and going into the future um where do you see see the sector going is it all going to be ai and virtual reality that uh, is sort of the sort of the, the way people are sort of perceiving you're just going to be wandering around with headsets and <laughs> and doing science on the moon or whatever happens to me um or 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 do you think that's just one facet in one kind of sort of media hype and so mary why don't you start us off first what what where do you think it's going to lead i i think there's a lot of hype around ai and i think um the term has been devalued to the point of being almost meaningless although i did I did see in the news this morning that Google's AI is self-conscious now. Is that the word? It's, it's got its own conscience and it's got the behavior of a seven-year-old child, but a nice one, which is terrifying because I know plenty of nice seven-year-olds who can turn nasty on the dime. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, people talk a lot about AI and machine learning in, in ed tech as if it's going to be the panacea, the solution to everything. They're just tools. I mean, it's just a way of doing sums faster. You know, to, I mean, I'm simplifying slightly, but um, slightly. But uh, I think where the the future of edtech lies really is much more around good product design um, and embracing and working better with all stakeholders. So, what came out in the round table over and over again is where where edtech as an industry has failed is to really design its products for the um, the tech phobic, uh, whether that's teachers or, or parents or the students themselves. If at the moment, it, you know, it began as something that was exciting new tech and there'd be early adopters and sort of the, the kind of tech savvy teachers might adopt it well, but it's not been universally implemented well. When ed tech can start to uh, become more appealing and more useful to people who aren't tech heads themselves, 
um, and when it can design for students who don't necessarily get it first time around, but can bring them on board and help to embrace those students uh, as well. Uh, and, and even more so with parents, as, as Tom Harbour puts it so well, if you, if you look at his output, um, when technology is better designed for all stakeholders, and particularly those at disadvantage, um, then I think it will start to realize its potential. And the other aspect of it is what I touched on earlier is this kind of consolidation of ed tech when, when um, the many sources, you know, there are all these products out there and the schools are being used. When those many sources of data can start to talk to each other, uh, they become greater than the sum of their parts, I think. And I, I know a number of organizations who are kind of like-minded and kind of looking at the big picture rather than just the, the sort of, how can I make more profit? Uh, those companies that are looking to work together, I think, uh, will start to realize some really exciting potential education technology. And James, how, how do you sort of see the the, the future, and or, or indeed, what? I guess I guess this is a two part question. One, what would you like to see, and two, what do you think will be the reality in terms of of that sort of day to day? I'd like to see um, the real embracement of the disciplinary aspects to to each subject, um, bringing in the skills that make up that subject. Um, being able to get in and around and, and visualize the practicals and the skills that are that are, that are essential. Um, and also the kind of embracement of uh, that subject in the news, science in the news and that updating um, of every, everyday events, things that are things that are happening, things that are involving uh, involving uh, the, the very latest developments and really uh, use, using that to take uh, children to uh, a point where they are not just being trained for the next round of exams, but but becoming a becoming a scientist, becoming a citizen, and being able to critically evaluate data and information and the world around them and, and things that go on. Um, so, taking taking a a broader and a a bigger view and an adaptation. Being able to the, the the software being able to adapt to things that are happening um, in in the world and are really developing our developing our students in, in that way, um, and I I feel I feel positive that um, edutech companies will be able to uh, take it on with the the kind of uh, reflectivity that, that that we see in, in in companies. So I would feel feel hopeful about that. But as as for uh, walk through uh, holo holographic lunar, lunar landscapes we'll, we'll have to wait and see mark <laughs> um so just as we as, as we round up then murray what would be your kind of biggest takeaway from the from the round table and the report overall is it yes we're on the right track is it we kind of realize we're where we thought we were but we can kind of sort of encapsulate it in some way or or actually maybe we're failing in some ways and, and there's there's more to do uh I well, you should never mark your own homework, right? But uh, I did feel really um, glad at the end of that discussion that most of what was discussed as where ed tech needs to be or where ed tech needs to go next, uh, I do feel was along the lines of things we were working on or have been working on already or planning to work on. But that the biggest takeaway for me was really about 
uh, what I touched on just a minute ago, uh, of, of sort of embracing the needs of the most disadvantaged, uh, particularly parents at home that are so vital uh, to supporting their children. If those parents themselves don't have devices or they don't have, they're not familiar with the kind of the bells and whistles of what we do. If you're not catering to their needs and helping bring them on board, um, then you're you're really sort of under delivering on your potential. So um, we we had in mind to change the way we communicated with the parents, particularly, and the way we sort of shared the details of how their child was progressing. But it gave us pause for thought to go, okay, actually, in this new version, is it going to be accessible for every parent? And is it particularly going to be accessible for those parents of disadvantaged students, either parents who are working three jobs and have time poor and they're, le- they're letting their kid get on with their homework by themselves and they, they don't have time to put in, or, or parents who are away or parents who maybe don't have English as the first language or don't have any English at all. Are we able to support those parents? Because their children are the ones that have the, the, the biggest gap to catch up and the potential to do so with the right tools at their disposal. So to be that tool and, and close the engagement gap was really, really big. Uh, the other thing that we took away that I thought was really exciting was about properly communicating in real time how we are delivering on that promise to close the attainment gap. We've done a lot of research in the past to measure our, our impact for students and, and stratify those students by disadvantage, by pupil premium, by prior attainment, and look at what we're doing to close the gap. And we're confident that we do it. But what we don't do is show those schools that happening in real time, um, which is a massive oversight on our part, because those schools, of course, need to report internally to SLT on how they're doing to address that problem. Um, and, it, and it's vital for them to know this. And so we're looking to kind of better develop the way we uh, we tag students and report on their progress so that we can show a school cohort by cohort, here's how your pupil premium students did versus the non-pupil premium um, over the course of the month or the year or, or, or the, the whole key stage. Uh, and that kind of thing is, well, why didn't we think of doing that earlier? It's so obvious and we've done all the homework, but to start to build that into the app starts to get really exciting and powerful. So we're collaborating with a number of schools to do that right now. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like as a as as a report, as a day, as a conversation, it was really impactful and and very positive. And I hope that today we've been able to talk around it enough so that other edutech companies listening, other other teachers, other schools have that sort of sense of of understanding. Obviously, what Tassimai is doing, but also sort of that that broader idea of of what's important. And if they are looking for new software, if they're looking to put, implement new things, or they're looking for a new strategy of what they're trying to do, then maybe this has given them food for thought. So, um, Murray, James, thank you both for being here. Thanks very much for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.